Good morning, and welcome to the sanctuary of Cornerstone Assemblies of God. I am Pastor Richard T. Wade, and I would like to say thank you for joining us today. I pray the Word of God can speak to you, and the Holy Spirit make it real to you. Now, a pre-recorded message from Cornerstone Assemblies of God. This morning, I want to encourage you. I, I, my, my soul and my spirit have been heavy over the last few weeks uh, just in the sheer number of suicides and things of that nature that has happened throughout our region. Um, just of what I know of from Vivian to here in the Atlanta area and McLeod and Bloomberg and even some a little beyond, and, but like nine suicides in the month of January. That's nine too many. But there's just this hopelessness within the world that we live in. You turn on the news and it doesn't matter what station it is. It's just doom and gloom. You open up a newspaper, if you still do that, or you open up your email like I do that the newspaper now sends you, and it's doom and gloom. You get on social media, you get on this, you get on that. It's doom and and gloom, and there just seems to be no hope anywhere. Well, let me tell you, this world is faulty. This world is broken. This world system is in a pitiful, sad shape. But what I'm here to tell you is there's still hope, even in the middle of all what seems to be hopelessness in the midst of this world. And that hope is found in Christ Jesus. In dealing with hopelessness, this morning's title is simple. It is, In the Name of Jesus. In the Name of Jesus. We need to understand, as born-again believers, that there is authority in the name of Jesus. That there is an authority given unto us, not because of who we are or what we do, but because of Jesus in us, because of who He is and what He's done. There's an authority available unto us. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verses 9 through 11. If you would, please stand for the reading of the word, and then we will get into the scripture. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, reading through verse 11. It says, Therefore, God highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. I'm telling you today that every Every knee will bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, but in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Paul writing to the church at Philippi says, look, to be, to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in all manners of prayer with thanksgiving, let your petitions be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, it's not me, it's not what I do, it's not some work that I work myself up in. It is my faith in the finished work that brings about a victory for me. And so uh, we all have real circumstances, we all have bad days, we all have trials and tribulations. We've all been put to the test. None of us are exempt. 
None of us are exempt. We've all had them. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the beautiful thing is that no matter how bad my day is, no matter how bad my situations are, no, ho- no matter how hopeless I may feel in the moment, the truth of the matter is in the name of Jesus... There is victory. In the name of Jesus, there is peace. The scripture also tells us that he inhabits the praise of his people. Well, I'm telling you, when you utter the name of Jesus, when you begin to thank him, when you begin to give him glory and praise for who he is and what he's done, well, that's a praise. And he inhabits his praise. And then he says, in my presence is a fullness of joy and pleasures at my right hand forevermore. Well, if you get in the presence of God, then you're going to find joy. So it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how depressed you are. If you find yourself in the presence of God, joy is the result. Yeah, I know, but it seems to come back around. It will. And you know what you got to do? You got to get back in the presence of the Lord. That's the reason it's beneficial to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. Stay in his presence. It'll pass. And what I have come to learn in my own personal experience is sometimes it shows back up in a few days. Sometimes it shows up in a few hours. But as I put into practice putting myself back in the presence of God through a place of prayer and praise, that it went from a few hours to a few days, to a few weeks, to a few months. And now it might be six, seven, eight, nine months before those battles come around. And you know what you do? You just begin to thank Jesus for who he is. You really have to take Philippians 4 to it. Rejoice. I don't feel like rejoicing. Paul says, and again, I say rejoice. And so he answers your doubt. <laughs> rejoice. But I don't, and again, I tell you, rejoice. Oh, okay, okay, I'm going to rejoice. All right, now come before the Lord in prayer. What kind of prayer? It don't matter. All kinds. But make sure you got some thanksgiving on your tongue. Don't just come with, him with your laundry list of everything you need done. Say, Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you, God, that through the shed blood, I can have a confidence to enter into your presence. I thank you, God, that because of the shed blood, I'm not like the priest of old and get struck dead when I show up in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Well, that thanks becomes a praise, and the praise becomes his presence, and his presence becomes joy. Oh, wait a minute. And then a peace that passes all understanding. I love that because I like to give it in what I call the Richard Wade translation. That's a peace that don't make no sense. Your situation may not change. Your circumstances may not change. But even in the middle of the bad situation, the circumstances that don't seem to be changing, all of a sudden within my spirit, within my soul, I can say, there is peace. I'm, it is well with my soul. Oh, well, what changed? Well, nothing changed around me, but something changed on the inside. And so I still may be facing the same battle. I still may have this mountain to climb, but it is well with my soul. And I have this peace now that makes no sense. And that peace is what guards my heart and mind. Because now that it is well with my soul, my mind and my heart can't lie to me. Amen. In dealing with the name of Jesus and looking at the beauty of serving him and looking at bad situations and bad circumstances, I want to just take a moment and walk through some scriptures and show you, I say some, I mean, get your pen ready because I got a pretty good list. 
Um, I told Brother Russell earlier, my long sermons are one page long. I have two pages today. And so um, I wanted the Boy Scouts to earn their badge. And so, <laughs> hallelujah. Exodus chapter 14. When you look in the book of Exodus in the 14th chapter, this account starting in verse 10 um, is where the Israelites have now fled Egypt and Pharaoh has changed his mind. And in verse 10, it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. I want to pause right here and just talk about this for a second. For those of you who may not know, let me paint this picture for you. So for uh, literally 400 years, the Egyptians have been bond servants, or the, the Israelites have been bond servants to the Egyptians. Through a series of plagues and a man named Moses, the Lord has now delivered the Israelites. They've been set free. They've headed out into the wilderness. The day goes on and the Pharaoh gets to thinking about it and he says, ah, I think I made the wrong choice. And they set out after the Israelites. So here's the Israelites. They're thinking they've been set free. They're heading out into the wilderness. They've got a mountain range on one side. They've got a sea in front of them. And they've got Egypt behind them in a desert wilderness of death on the other side. So, I mean, there's nowhere to go. And they look back behind them. Wait a minute. Why is Pharaoh and all of his army behind us? They give us permission to leave. See, what I want to point out to you is the Israelites found themselves in a situation that in the natural there was no way of escape. Sudden death, basically, waited them on all four sides. And they were afraid. You ever been there? You get the doctor's report. You open up your bank account with one eye closed. Huh? The school phone rings or the school is calling again and it's like, oh, what now? Fear rises up. How are we going to make it? What's going to happen? Well, the beautiful thing here is the Israelites did the right thing. They were very afraid, and they cried out to the Lord. I'm telling you, no matter how bad the situation seems, Jesus is just a mention away. No matter if you can't figure it out. Actually, if you can't figure it out, you're probably in the perfect place for the Lord to prove himself to you. They cry out to the Lord. Moses stretched forth his hand and the Red Sea parts. The Bible goes on to say that the Israelites, they walked across on dry ground. And so I pulled it up in my commentary some years ago. And they really mean dry ground like they were kicking up dust. Now, we've all stuck our feet in a mud hole before. We've all been out to the lake around here before. That ain't dust underneath that water. That is some nasty, mucky, mire, yeah, you know, when it squishes between your toes. I don't like that. Well, after you think, you know, like within 10 minutes' time, an entire sea splits, you think that mire would still be there. But that's the beauty of walking in the way that the Lord makes 
is because he will take you from the pit. He'll take you from the mire and the muck, and he'll set you up on a firm foundation. He'll cause you to walk through the middle of the Red Sea and kick up dust behind you. It is such dry ground. They get to the other side, and wait a minute, here comes Pharaoh and all of his army. And they're coming into the Red Sea as well. What I love here is in this same passage, uh, after, I believe it's uh, verse 13, 14. Y'all don't hold me to it. I don't have it opened right here. Verse 13, Moses tells them, he says, Hold on, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, I love how the King James says it, you shall see them no more forever. Okay, I'm good with no more. But no more and forever, that's even better. Huh? I mean, he adds to it. I mean, I'd have been good. You ain't going to see them no more. No, you ain't going to see them no more forever. And he tells Moses to stretch his hand back out over the sea, and he does, and the sea closes. Pharaoh and all his army is dead, done, gone, finished. See, today's the day of salvation. You may think you have no escape. You may think that your trials and your tribulations are bad and that, you know, there's just no hope. I'm telling you, hear the word of the Lord today, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. When you don't know what to do, Stand firm. Ephesians tells us right before we put on the whole armor of God, there after having done all, stand. Sometimes what you have to do is be still and know that he is God. Sometimes I've got to quit trying to figure this out on my own. Sometimes I have to quit trying to put my two cents in, and I just need to stand still, fear not, and know that he is God and that he is faithful. He is just. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is my protector. He is my refuge. He shall make a means of escape for me. He will not put more on me than I can bear. That's all scripture. That ain't good preaching. That's who he is. But say, okay, we've heard that enough. Good. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, looking through verses 8 through 27, is the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys. I love it. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's made his big golden image, and he says when you hear the music playing, you've got to bow down and worship this golden image. And if you don't bow down to it, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Well, everybody's bowing down when they hear the music playing, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not bowing a knee. It's made known to Nebuchadnezzar because, see, he liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and had put them in charge over things in his kingdom. They had favor with him. And they said, oh, no, no, you don't realize uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they're not bowing. And this made him upset. He says, bring them in front of me. They bring them in front of him. He says, all right, we're going to play this music, and y'all better bow. And I love how they answer it. They're like, we, we're not bowing. We're not bowing. Because our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing. 
I think the key to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that second part there. They had made up their mind, even if this doesn't go the way I want it to, God is still worthy to be praised. I'm still going to trust him. And if the worst thing that can happen to me happens, God is still faithful and he has the final say. And I'm going to hold on to him with everything I have. So he plays the music. They keep to their word. They don't bow a knee. He gets mad. Bible says in his rage, he tells them to heat the furnace seven times. It's normal heat. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's so hot that the guys who bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them into the furnace, that the heat from it killed them. Now, right then, you ought to know something's going on. When the door of the furnace opens and the two guards is holding them, getting ready to throw them in, they fall dead, but the three are still alive. Thrown into the furnace. And I love it, the different translations and looking at it, but in the King James, uh, got old Nebuchadnezzar, he looks up and in amazement says, wait a minute, boys. <laughs> hey, didn't we just put three of them in there? Yeah. Well, how come it is I see four of them and, and they loosed and they're, they're walking around and they're, they're moving around. I'm telling you, if we would not bow a knee to the pressures of this world, if we would understand that fear not, stand firm that Jesus... We'll see you through. See, in the name of Jesus, there's some authority. There's some freedom. And so you might get bound up. You might get thrown into the furnace at seven times hotter. But hold on. Jesus shows up. Then there's that fourth man in the fire. That's a good song too. Fourth man in the fire. I won't sing it to you right now. Brings them out. And I love this. Not a hair on them was singed. Now let me talk to the Boy Scouts. Now we build fire safely in Boy Scouts. Sometimes when we're at home, we don't always build them safely. And you lose eyebrows. You lose the arm hair. I, I've lost the hair off my arm and my eyebrows and eyelashes more time than I'd like to count because I was a little too close to the flame. They weren't just close to the fire. They were in it. And it wasn't just hot, it was seven times hotter than it normally is. And the Bible says that not even a hair on them was singed. That's amazing. It says that the fire did not even touch their body, so there were no blisters, there were no red marks, there were nothing. But then I love that very end there, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Now listen here. We, back when we had the ice and it was cold and all this good stuff, we, we built a fire in our fireplace. And even though we had the fireplace cleaned out and it was a good draft and everything worked how it was supposed to, you can still smell smoke. It didn't smoke the house up. Everything was fine, but you still smell it. You go out in my yard and you go feed the animals and I smell smoke coming out the chimney. You build a campfire, you stay outside for a half hour, two hours, you smell like smoke. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the midst of the fire, not a hair singed, not a red mark on their body, clothes aren't burned, they don't even smell like smoke. Talking about authority in the name of Jesus. 
So you may seem to be in a hopeless situation. You may be bound up. You might be in the midst of the fire. But I'm telling you, if Jesus is on your side, you'll come out not even smelling like smoke. In the same book of Daniel in the 6th chapter, there's another account. King Darius at this time had made a rule where people could not pray to any god for 30 days. If they had any inquiry that they were come to King Darius himself to bow down before him because he had all the knowledge. And that if this was to happen, that they would be thrown into the lion's den. Well, again, Daniel had found favor with the Lord. Daniel had found favor with King Darius. King Darius had put him in charge over all of these other people. And these other people become jealous of Daniel. Well, even though the decree went out that they couldn't bow down and pray to any God, three times a day, Daniel still went to the privacy of his own home. And he prayed to the Lord three times a day. Well, he left a window open unto Jerusalem, which was the custom of the day. And someone saw him praying. And so they go and they tell King Darius, Daniel is still praying three times a day. He calls him in front of him. It's all made known. Yes, this is true. I'm paraphrasing here and rushing through for the sake of time. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. How many of y'all got dogs? Okay. You ever had a dog that gets hungry, you know, and you go over there, feed them, and they're, they're ready to eat it before you even pour it out? You know, uh, Alec, my, I have a, a basset hound, and he don't get excited about anything, really not even food. He's just kind of standing there looking at you like, would you hurry up, please? Uh, but now, Allie, she has this big old standard poodle. And this morning, when I went and scooped his food, he's in front of me. And he's doing these little circles and he's bouncing around and he's like, you know, hey, I hadn't ate since you put me to bed last night. It's time to eat again, you know. And so he's all excited about it because he went, you know, bedtime without food. Well, here's a den <laughs> full of lions. And in the custom of the day to make this a torture chamber, they would go days without feeding the lions so that they would be ravenous. So that when they threw somebody in, most of the time they were ripped apart before they hit bottom. That's the kind of gross, but that's the truth of the matter. So here's the lion's den open and in Daniel goes. They put the lid over the top of it. Says that King Darius seals it with his ring goes on. Now King Darius didn't like to do this because he really liked Daniel but he had to do it because he had made the law. He comes back the next morning and he cries out to Daniel. And Daniel says O king live forever for the Lord had sent an angel to close up the mouths of the lions and for I'm still alive. So typically he'd have been ripped to shreds before he hit bottom. But not only did he actually get to hit bottom, he lived all night long. And he lived the next day to tell about it. So all of us have had some bad days, but how many of here have ever been locked in a room with a lion that hadn't ate in a few days? We hadn't been there. But the Lord is able to deliver. Amen? Well, let's look in our New Testament. Some people saying, is he ever going to end? Y'all don't realize what church you came to. I plan on taking you from Exodus to Hebrews today. I really do. That's not joking. Not every book of the Bible, though. Not every book. But in Mark chapter 1, 
and verse 23. In their synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of the man. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. What are you talking about? Well, today I'm talking to you about the authority and the power that's in the name of Jesus. So I've shared with you now three different occasions where people were in a tight situation and Jesus showed up. Now we're in the New Testament and Jesus is on the earth. And in the presence of Jesus, even people tormented with the demonic were set free through the power of Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to preach to the church folks for just a second. You realize this devil was in the church, right? They weren't out in the street. They weren't out in the bar. They weren't out in some sinful place. They come to church on Sunday morning and encountered somebody full of the devil. So just because they might be in the church building don't mean they ain't got a devil. And so anyhow, that's just my, I'm sorry, that's my preaching style. I got to throw in a few little side notes. But don't let the way folks act fool you. But we carry on in the same Mark chapter 1 verse 29. It says, And when he came out of the synagogue with James and John, they went directly to the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. The mother of Simon's wife laid sick with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. In the evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door, and they healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Let's carry on here in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, pleading with him and kneeling before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, extended his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, the leprosy immediately departed from him, and he was cleansed. So see, today I want to tell you that there's authority in the name of Jesus, that there's authority no matter whether it be demonic oppression, demonic possession, whether it be fever, whether it be leprosy. So far, we hadn't found anything that can overcome the name and the presence of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, And again, they entered into Capernaum, and after some days, it was reported that he was in the house, and immediately many were gathered together, so that there was no room to receive them, not even at the door. And he preached the word to them. This is Jesus preaching unto them. And they came to him, bringing one sick with a a paralysis, who was carried by four men on a bed. And when they could not come near to him because of the crowding, they tore off the roof. They uncovered the roof where he was, and they lowered the man down. In front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. So I've talked to you today about some bad situations and that when Jesus shows up, he'll deliver you. I've showed you some places where people were sick, people were possessed, people were oppressed. They had some issues going on, and Jesus healed them. What I want to show you here in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, is a situation where there was someone who was sick. They had a paralysis, had been sick for years, but his friends come alongside him. 
lifted him up on his sick bed and took him to Jesus. And when they couldn't get through the front door, they were willing to tear open the roof and lower him down in front of Jesus. And the Bible says, and when Jesus saw their faith, so this morning in talking to you about the authority of name of Jesus, talking to you about who Jesus is and what he can do for us, I need you to understand that if you're in right relationship with him, if you are saved, filled with the Spirit, if you walk in the authority of God, you have the authority to bring people unto Jesus. Really, you have the mandate. We're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. That means the ministry of getting people right with God. Correcting that relationship. And so today, I want to encourage you, don't give up on those around you. When you can't get in through the front door, just tear open the roof and get them in anyhow you can. I believe the picture that is being painted here and the reason it's in the scripture is are we desperate for the presence of God? Or do we only come to him when it's convenient? We show up to the front day and say, ah, well, there's too many people in there. I'll come back later. Or do we say... I'm about to tear the roof off this place to get to Jesus. Are we desperate to get in the presence of the Lord? Because in his presence, there's a fullness of joy. In his presence, there is healing. In this presence of the Lord, there is freedom. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Let me flip over here. I can't get to Mark chapter 4 if I'm in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That same day when the evening came, he said unto them, Let us go across to the other side. And when they had sent the crowd away, they took him into the boat just as he was. And there was also another little boat with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves splashed into the boat so that it was now filling the boat. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. They woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he rose and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Well, I want to show to you in Exodus, the Lord spoken to the people and said, Fear not, stand firm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided that they weren't going to bow a knee, that they were going to stand firm. Daniel decided he was going to pray, whether it was against the law or not. He stood firm. In all these situations, the Lord delivered them. Here we have several accounts I've already given you of people being healed, set free, and all these things. And then here's the disciples, the ones who's following Jesus, the ones who ought to know better. And they get in the boat, and the windstorm comes, and things get shaky and a little questionable and the water's coming in. Jesus is back here asleep minding his own business and they go wake him up and I can just hear the fear in their voice. Do you not care that we're about to die? And Jesus says, peace be still. Why are you so fearful? Do you not have any faith? So what I want to pose to you today is no matter how big the waves get, no matter how bad the storm seems, I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, those waves, they must calm. But hold on. In Matthew chapter 14, you don't have to flip over there if you, right now, but it, it, you can. It is dealing with the account of Peter. When he's in the boat and the storm comes and Jesus shows up on the water. 
And he says, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat, walks on the water. He sees the big wave. He gets scared, looks away from Jesus, and begins to sink. But Jesus stretched forth his hand and immediately saves him. And then the Bible says, and then back in the boat, da 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 And that's all it says. Well, here's what I always like to point out in that. As we hear about Jesus, or Peter walking to Jesus, we hear about Peter getting afraid and sinking, and we hear about the hand of Jesus pulling him back out of the water, and then they're back in the boat, da-da-da-da-da. Well, how'd they get back to the boat? Peter had to walk right back on that water, right back to the boat. Why am I telling this to you? Had Peter not got his eyes off of Jesus and onto the wave, he would have never sunk in the first place. How many times are we walking in the will of God? How many times are we walking even in the blessings of the Lord? How many times are we even seeing the miraculous? But whoop, out of the middle of nowhere, here comes this big old wave, and it gets us to, oh, and we start sinking. (laughs) it, It used to blow my mind. It doesn't really anymore. But people say, I just don't understand what I'm doing wrong. It may be that you're doing everything right. And that wave isn't from God. That wave is the scheme of the enemy trying to get you to look at the wave instead of look at Jesus. It might be that that wave has come to knock you off course, not to bring judgment upon you. But in the name of Jesus, even when the wave comes, even when our faith falters, there's still the hand of the Lord that is right there to grab us and immediately save us and pull us back to the water top and walk us right back across the storm that was just trying to kill us. You think about that. You just don't understand how bad my storm is. Maybe I don't, but Jesus does. And I'm telling you, it might be a big storm, but he's able to walk right over it. And if you'll grab hold of his hand, he'll lead you right over the top of that big storm. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. This account is of Jairus' daughter. She was sick. He comes. He asks the Lord to come and heal my daughter. And the Lord is going. And on the way, there's the woman with the issue of blood. She's had this issue for 12 years. The Bible says she spent all of her money. She's been to all the doctors. She don't know what else to do. But she heard that Jesus was passing by. And faith inside her says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And she presses in through the crowd. And she's down on her knees. And, and I've actually been to Capernaum where this probably took place. And, and the, the, the streets aren't as wide as the space between those two altars there, this middle walkway so you have a throng of people it is narrow and tight and so when it says that she had to get she literally was probably crawling through the feet of people to reach out by faith and grab the hem of his garment what I want to tell you is the doctors may have given you a bad report what I want to tell you is it might have even been 10, 12 years. It might have been 20 years you've been battling this bad report from the doctor. You may have spent everything in the natural that you've got trying to combat what's going on in the physical. I'm telling you a moment in the presence of the Lord. I'm telling you a moment that you have a, in, the, in the name of Jesus moment. Because when she touched him, the Bible tells us that Jesus felt virtue leave from him. And he turns and he says, who touched me? And the disciples and those around him are like, what do you mean who touched you? We're all touching you. 
You know, we're all, we're all crowded up in this little narrow street. And Jesus says, no, 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 not like a physical touch. Somebody got hold of something. See, how many times have you just come to church and you've just been the rest of the crowd? I've been around Jesus, but I didn't receive nothing. Or how many times was it that you was in church and you was in the presence of the Lord and you had that reach out and grab his hymn moment? Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Something changed today. Uh, I've been around Jesus this whole walk, but no, I, I received something today. I'm telling you, when you get in the presence of the Lord in the name of Jesus, healing. And, and so Jesus says, who touched me? And, and so it's made known, and he addresses her as woman. But then he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Isn't it beautiful that the Lord can just change your whole identity in just a split second's time? You can go from lost, broken, and undone. You can have a rap sheet 10 miles long, but a millisecond in the presence of the Lord, just grabbing a hold to the hem of the garment by faith, he can cleanse you, make you whole. The born again, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 tells us, you know, behold, all things have become new. Mark 10, verses 46 through 52 is one of my favorite accounts in the Word of God. It's the account of the blind Bartimaeus. He's sitting there begging. They come through. He hears that Jesus is coming through. He starts to cry out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David. And the people around him start telling him, Hush, be quiet, be quiet. And it says that he begins to cry out all the more. I love that. Listen, sometimes the people around you might say your praise is a little radical. You need to quit doing all that shouting. You need to quit doing all that jumping. Why you act that way? Won't you quit doing that? I'm telling you, tell them to shut up, and you just keep shouting. You keep giving God praise. You keep crying out to him because the thing is, is it says that Jesus stood still. I'd like to know that the Lord Almighty is going about his day doing whatever it is that the Lord's doing other than interceding for our behalf at the right hand of the Father. But he's going about his day and that my heart's cry causes him to stop in his track and take hold of what I've got to say. Uh-huh. Well, what a day. What a day. Been blind all my life, God. I, I, I've, been, I've been this beggar. I love it when you really study the context of the scripture here. It says that after Jesus paused and he bid him to come, and then the very ones who had told him to be quiet and stop hollering is the ones who had to lead him to Jesus. I, I just love the irony in that. The ones who was trying to get you to be quiet, the ones who was trying to push you down, the ones who was fighting you doing what God had told you to do is the very ones that God will turn around and make them be the ones to usher you into his presence. And it says, but getting up, he cast off his garment. See, that garment was a beggar's garment. That was his identity. That's who he was. But he knew he was about to meet Jesus, and behold, all things are about to become new. And so he cast off the identity of the old beggar, and he gets into the presence of the Lord. And Jesus heals him. And all the people see it, and they marvel, and they wonder. Today, I'm talking to you about in the name of Jesus. Say, yeah, but you've only told us about things that happened in the New Testament. You've only told us about things that happened while Jesus was on the earth. We, I don't, they don't happen that way no more. Well, I beg to differ. In Acts chapter 3, see, in Acts chapter 3, Jesus had died. Jesus was buried. Jesus had rose from the dead. Jesus had ascended unto the Father. Jesus had walked the earth some 40 days showing. Then he ascended. Ten days after his ascension, it was the day of Pentecost. Spirits poured out. All kinds of things are happening. 
People are getting saved as we do now by faith in Christ Jesus. So now we're in today's world. Oh, it was the first century, but it was in the same time that we are in by faith. Jesus had came, he had lived, he had died, he rose, and he ascended back unto the Father, and the Holy Spirit came. That time don't change until Jesus returns. Jesus hadn't returned yet. What's going on right here in Acts chapter 3 is in the time where Jesus was ascended unto the Father, and he's supposed to come back the second time. Same time we're in right now. So Peter and John's headed to church. And here's the beggar laying at the gate, beautiful. They walk by, they make notice of them, they lock eyes. Bible says that the beggar looked unto them expecting to receive something. How many of you actually expect Jesus to do something for you? Or do we just go through the motions? Um, but he looked expecting to receive something. And, and Peter and John, they said, silver and gold have I none, but that in which I have I give unto you freely. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And immediately strength come into his leg and his ankle. And he leaps and jumps and shouts and follows them unto the church. <laughs> I heard a preacher say one time uh, that he was preaching this very uh, scripture. <laughs> and somebody said Preacher, y'all do all that shouting and jumping and hollering over at y'all's church, and I just don't get into all that. I don't think we ought to do all of that, and I can't find it nowhere in the Bible where Jesus ever jumped, shouted, leapt, hollered, or danced. And the preacher says, you are exactly right. I have never found in Scripture where Jesus did either, but I see in Scriptures where those who he touched did. And so, you know, today it's like, hey, there you go, all right? Maybe Jesus didn't jump, shout, leap, and holler, but those who he touched did. And so that's what the Bible says, leaping to his feet, praising God. Well, what we'd also don't understand in our society is when we hear in biblical terminology, praising the Lord, but I didn't. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Middle Eastern people, them folks know how to party. And so when they talk about praising the Lord, I'm talking about they got the tambourines are going. They got the harps and the lyres going. They got the music going. They out here singing and hollering and dancing. And they got all the little, little uh, beads and metal things on their robes. And it's a jingling. And so you don't even need the tambourine because their own robe is keeping a beat and shaking and going. And they dance and run and shout. And it's an uproar. So when you see in the scripture of God and praising God, they did. Well, they wasn't just walking about going, oh, well, praise God, he's good. No, this is a throng of people who's dancing and shouting and twirling and got instruments playing and shouting. Just, whoa, I'm talking about having a good old time. Why did you bring that up? Well, we shout at the football games. We even shouted yesterday at the Pine Derby. Well, if we can get excited about our kid winning first, second, third place, or fourth place, or something like that in the Pinewood Derby, couldn't we get excited about meeting the King of Glory and him making my old self die away and behold, all things become new? Can't I get excited that Jesus, huh, he did a work within me and that which was broken is now made whole? Can't I get excited that I've been in the presence of God who says in his presence is a fullness of joy? Last time I checked, when you get happy, you don't go crawl under the bed and pout. Anyhow, I won't meddle too much. Say, yeah, well, Peter and John, they were apostles. 
They walked with Jesus. And so that stuff don't happen today. Well, I beg to differ. <laughs> Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen wasn't even a pastor. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Stephen wasn't a disciple. Well, what was Stephen? He was just a deacon of the church. So if even the deacon of the church can do many signs, wonders in the midst of the people... Hold on, wait a minute. Maybe Stephen knew Jesus. Maybe he did. Hold on, let me just give you another thought. Well, it says that he was full of faith and power. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus tells the people that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So how is it that I'm going to get this power that Stephen had? Well, I get it when the Holy Ghost comes up on me. Acts 9, it tells of the conversion of Paul. We hear about the Apostle Paul. We read many books that he wrote. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But what people don't seem to understand is Paul used to be Saul. Paul didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah so bad that he burnt churches down. He beat people. When the deacon Stephen was stoned to death, Paul was standing over to the side holding the jackets of the ones who was beating him. So this thing that, oh, well, God don't do that way no more. That was just for a select few people. Well, hold on. Here's a dude that didn't even believe Jesus was Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't taught with Jesus. He wasn't there on Pentecost. He didn't have none of that. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't a first century nothing. 30 years later, He'd been killing Christians, been burning churches, been stoning Stephen and holding the jackets while they did it. But he has an encounter with Jesus. Glory to God. Walking down the road on his way to Damascus. You don't have to be in the church to meet Jesus. You don't have to be at the altar to accept Jesus. You might just be going about your day, going to burn down some churches and put some preachers in jail. Because that's what Paul was doing on his way to Damascus with letters from the Pharisees saying, I have legal right to put you in jail. But Jesus have another plan. And you meet him right there and change things. Glory. You go on reading in the book of Acts. You get over to uh, chapter 16 and look in verse 17. And it's dealing with uh, Paul has come into the house of Jason. And he slips out because he hears they're coming against him. And they come and they get Jason and they say, listen, this is this group of men who has turned the world upside down. What a testimony to be Saul who burnt the church. To be Saul who stoned Stephen. To be Saul who didn't even believe that Jesus was Jesus. But on his way to Damascus. Jesus! And he changes things. Behold, all things have become new. And Saul becomes Paul. Becomes the Apostle Paul. Writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Walks in the authority and the power of Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus still does the same stuff. To, well, I just don't know about that. Well, I'm, well, here's another one for you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says very plainly, I don't even know how people can theologize this. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm still trying to figure out how we decided Jesus don't do what Jesus does when Jesus says he's the same forever. <laughs> huh, glory. Well, praise the Lord. Worship team, come on back. Mm. I don't know what all y'all need today. I don't know what all your battles and your struggles are. 
You got some things going on that I don't know anything about. I'm not God. I'm not all-knowing. But what I do know is we've all had some battles. We've all had some struggles. We've all had the lie of the enemy whispered into our ear. We've all had fear in our heart. We've all had doubt in our mind. We've all done it. But I'm telling you, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it tells us that today is the day of salvation. Some of you may be sitting in this room saying, well, he has thrown so much scripture at me, my head's spinning. Well, I'm glad. Because I want you to know I didn't take one verse and use it out of context. I want you to see from the book of Exodus to the book of Hebrews, when Jesus shows up on the scene, things change. You might be looking at a hard situation in the natural. You might have a mountain on one side and a sea in front of you. And there might be the devil's army on your heels. But I'm telling you that when Jesus shows up, he'll cause you to walk across on dry ground. I'm telling you, you might feel like you are in the middle of the fiery furnace, but hold on, the fourth man's about to show up, and you're going to walk out and not even smell like smoke. I'm telling you, you might feel like you live in the middle of the den of lions, and folks is just looking to have you for lunch. Hold on, Jesus will shut their mouth and bring you out complete and whole. Maybe you're bound by some things. Maybe there's some demonic activity. Maybe there's some straight-out assaults of the enemy on your life. Jesus is the answer. Maybe you're battling an actual ailment in your body. Maybe you have a paralysis. Maybe you have sicknesses. Maybe there's a disease that seems to just be gripping you. I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. Maybe, maybe you've got some fear. Maybe you've got doubts, some anxieties. I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. And the peace of God that passes all understanding is available to whoever. Maybe you're saying, I, if Jesus would just bid me come, I'd come. Well, look, I've already shared with you the account of Peter in the boat and I'm telling you if your heart's cry is Jesus I want to come to you I'm just asking you to bid me come I'm telling you through the voice of the Father today he's bidding you come because today's the day of salvation none of us are promised a tomorrow but I'm telling you whether we get a tomorrow or not my worst day with Jesus is better than my best day without him I'm not promising you that there won't be trials and tribulations. I'm not promising you there won't be struggles. But what I am promising you is my God is faithful. And his peace really doesn't make sense in the natural. And he will bid you come and cause you to walk over whatever storm it is that the enemy has sent to destroy you. Amen. Thank you so much again for taking time to listen to a message from the sanctuary of Cornerstone Assemblies of God. We do this through the help of our listeners and friends in the community. If you would like to donate to our broadcast, you can go to cornerstoneatlanta.tv and give as the Lord would lead you. But again, I, Pastor Richard Wade of Cornerstone Assemblies of God, just say thank you for taking time, and I pray the Lord make this real to you today.
Jesus name. 